Every one of us has dealt with disappointment in one way or another. And sometimes that fear can well up and cause us to drift farther and farther away from God. That we live with a constant fear of even letting God down. Not only have we let others down, but we've had this fear of letting God down. We're in a series here at HRBC called Fear Not. And each Sunday through this Lenten season, we're focusing on different fears that we face. And the title of today's message is The Fear of Disappointing God. And our text is found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. Let's read and follow along on the screen if you'd like. Matthew 9, 1 through 8. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, the friend's faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow, speaking of Jesus, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, with you, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last month, if you're a football fan or not, you probably were in tune to the NFL playoffs. And the Denver Broncos faced the New England Patriots for the AFC Championship and the winner would go to the Super Bowl to face the Carolina Panthers. The Broncos scored first, but soon after, Tom Brady led the Patriots down into the end zone and scored, and it should have tied the game. All they had to do was kick the extra point. The kicker, Steven Gostowski, was a given for the extra point. They lined up, the center snapped the ball, the holder received it, and Steven Gostowski kicked the ball, and immediately he knew that he had botched it. Shanked it to the right, missed the extra point, and many will say that it changed the course of the game. Gostowski had made 523 consecutive extra points in the NFL. He had made all 60 extra points in the playoff games where he was kicking. He had not missed an extra point in nine years. But this one, he'd like to have back. The Patriots never led the game, but at the very end, Tom Brady again led them to score, and they were within two points. All they had to do was convert the two-point conversion and tie the game, but unfortunately they missed it. And they lost and missed the Super Bowl. Gostowski felt that he had disappointed his teammates. 
that he had disappointed his coaches, disappointed the fans. Now, he's not going to allow this to define his career, but he's so disappointed, he said, I put them in the bad spot by missing that extra point. Later he said, I feel terrible. I feel like I let everybody down. He can't help but feel that way. Maybe you felt like that. Maybe you have felt that you've let others down in your life. I know that I have. I remember when I was in third grade. Do we have any third or fourth graders around some elementary? I know some of our elementary school kids are here. When I was in third grade, I made a D in math on my report card. And I I was so afraid to take it home. And my parents saw the D and they were so disappointed. When I was in fourth grade... My teacher, Mrs. Stoney, she called my parents and asked for a parent-teacher conference because Bobby, that's what my family calls me, was being disruptive. Fast forward to high school, I was dating this girl and she had ticked me off and I was at work, I worked at Kroger and I got off at my work and it was raining and I was driving my 1976 Chevy Vega home too fast, and I flew over the railroad crossing that was a bump, lost control, spun around, and crashed my car on the opposite side of the road. Thankfully, there was nobody else on the other side. Tore my car all up, and I had to walk home and face my parents. They were so disappointed. Parents, I'm a parent, but like my parents, where where, where do parents learn how to say this? I'm not angry but I am so disappointed. I go, oh. I mean, still feel so bad. I know there are some dads who just blown it with their family. I know of someone else who got caught shoplifting when they were in college and they got busted. Uh, We have all done things to disappoint people. We have all felt that we have let even God down. And sometimes we have a hard time moving forward. Sometimes we have uh, a really tough time forgiving ourselves. And we get stuck emotionally. And we allow these guilty feelings to keep us from living the life that God has set out for us to live. This is the fear of disappointing God. It's like we are so afraid we're going to let Him down again that we don't even bother with God. And the the, the uh, gap becomes even wider between us and God. We begin to question God. We question God about our own forgiveness. We say, God, can I be forgiven? Can my past really be forgiven? That's the main question for us today. Can our past really be forgiven? We start to reason uh, in our minds things like, uh, God, surely God's grace has limits. Surely God gets tired of hearing from me, so I'm not going to bother. How many times can I ask for forgiveness anyway over the same issue I keep struggling with? God sure must get tired of hearing from me. Well, he's got so many other uh, problems to deal with in this world. He doesn't need my coming back over and over and over again. Why bother? Can my past really even be forgiven? And that's what we're dealing with in today's text And I want to say, first of all, if you don't remember anything else from today's message, remember this. We often feel like failures. We often often have failed, but we are not failures. We have all failed, but we are not failures. 
The Scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 We are not failures. The world will say you're a disgrace. The world will say you won't amount to anything. The world will say you're a big disappointment. But God says you are not a failure. Remember last week we said it's what God thinks about us that matters most. And you and I are not failures. We're just sinners who fall short of the glory of God. And God's Son, Jesus Christ, has given us the pathway for redemption and to live a a life of freedom. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Romans, I mean, 2 Corinthians 12.9. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And we also want to remember today, number two, that grace encourages and does not condemn. These are the words that we hear from Jesus to this man who is healed. And we'll see this in just a minute. He says, take heart or be encouraged. Your sins are forgiven. Grace encourages and does not condemn. John 3.18, whoever believes in Him, Christ, is not condemned. Remember the verse before that, that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. And I believe this is what Jesus is trying to teach us through this passage today. He's modeling this. As we set up for the passage, if you follow the chronology in Matthew's Gospel, you see three narratives. Jesus calmed the storm, which we focused on two weeks ago. That's His dominion over nature. And then we, in that uh, same area of the Scripture, Jesus cast out demons, re- reveals His power over evil. Today we see He's forgiving and He's healing. And this shows His power over guilt and sin. And you might say, wait a minute. I thought that if he healed somebody, that showed his power of, over illness, over disease, his power of healing. But we would submit today that this shows his power over guilt and sin. Jesus is back in Capernaum. This is the hub of the gospel ministry. Nazareth, his hometown, had rejected him, and he moved the hub of his ministry to Capernaum on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. Crowds of people followed Jesus. He was healing people and he was preaching. And there he was in a home. And it was so crowded that the guys who brought Jesus' friend on the mat who was not able to walk, they had to climb up on the roof. It was so crowded. It was so crowded it was like trying to get a seat at Texas Roadhouse on a Friday night. They had decided to bring their friend to Jesus. Each one of them picked up a corner of his mat and they carried him to Jesus. Can you imagine how difficult it would have been for those four guys to get their friend who could not walk on uh, the roof of, of that house there on his mat? And then they broke through the ceiling. They dug through it. It was a sod kind of composite, I imagine. And uh, you could just see the, the sheet rock particles falling from the roof and And there they lowered Jesus' friend on the mat right there. They had to move the coffee table. And there he is right in front of Jesus. And Jesus stops everything that he's doing. And he says to the man, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Your sins are forgiven. Whoa! Because the Pharisees, you know, they would not expect that. And they were like thinking in their mind, who does he think he is? This is blasphemy, the unforgivable sin. Who is he that he can forgive sins? And then Jesus helps to 
explain to them what he did. We might wonder why Jesus addressed the man's sin and guilt before he healed his body. We would think that he would just heal the man. But there was a long-held Jewish belief that our illnesses were a direct result of our sins. So in order to help the man to experience freedom and to help the man perhaps let go of some of the things that he had held on to for so many years perhaps, maybe the disappointments of others, maybe he had uh, drifted farther and farther away from God because he felt like he had disappointed God so much that before Jesus healed his body, he looked at him and he said, he says, be encouraged, take heart, your sins are forgiven, you can just let go of that. Don't allow that to oppress you any longer. Don't allow that to keep you separated from God any longer. And now take up your mat and walk. And the man took up his mat and he went home. He was encouraged because he was free of the bondage in his mind that separated him from God and is able to fully receive the word of Jesus and to accept the healing that Jesus desired to give him. See, Jesus came to free us from these things that we have in our minds and hearts. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read And the scroll from the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found it, the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came to heal the soul and the body to set us free from the grip of sin. Jesus first dealt with the soul, then He dealt with the body. Our soul is the most important thing. And He addressed the soul first. When we have soul freedom, then we might be able to better receive the healing that God has for other areas in our lives. And I love that way of seeing this in the text. Of course, this didn't set well with the, the, the teachers of the law who heard this. And they argued with him. And uh, Jesus says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? They were both the same. For him to say, get up and walk, meant that he forgave sin because illnesses, as they thought, were the result of sin. So either way, he's being criticized. And he set the man free. If you and I are disappointing others and we have a fear of disappointing God, this fear can cause us to run farther, farther from God. And we remember this back in the story of Adam and Eve. Remember they hid from God. Remember the uh, serpent said to Eve, Did God really say, there's that question, and we deal with it today, did God really say that you shouldn't do, did God really say, and we start to doubt God, and we 
this fear of disappointing God drives us farther from God. And then we start to hide. Then the man, Genesis 3, 8-10, through 10, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden on the cool of the day. And then they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I was afraid. When we are afraid of God, of disappointing God because of the things that we have done, we hide. We hide maybe in substances. We hide in our work. We hide in other places. Sin leads to hiding. We avoid contact with God. But God will never abandon us. He will never forsake us. God constantly searches for us like the loving Father stood out to wait for the prodigal to come home. Or when my dog Dozer gets out of the fence, which he did all the time when he was younger, I would always go search for him. No matter where, I would go search for him and I would bring him home. God is the same way with us. And I want us to remember today we're taking notes, to hold fast to the grip of grace. Hold fast to the grip of grace. Claim the grace that God has given each of us through Jesus Christ. When Jesus sets us free, we are free indeed. Love, self-sacrificing, indiscriminate love never leaves a heart the way it found it. When Jesus sets us free, we are free indeed. I love this story that Max Lucado tells of in his book, Fearless, about Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington was born under the regime of slavery and then was able to experience the Emancipation Proclamation in his generation as well. He went on to become an educator, the founder of a prominent university, and a key voice for African Americans in this nation. But every morning in his young life, while under slavery, Washington, along with all the other plantation slaves, uh, he was awakened by the crow of a rooster. Long before daybreak, the unwelcome noise would fill the sod shanties, reminding him and his family and his other friends that they had to crawl out of bed and leave for the hard, strenuous, back-breaking work on the cotton fields. The rooster's crow came to symbolize these long days and back-breaking days of slavery. Every time the rooster crowed, it was another reminder of his bondage. But then came the Emancipation Proclamation. Abraham Lincoln pronounced freedom for those who were enslaved. The next morning, the rooster crowed. And Booker T. Washington woke up to see his mother chasing it with a knife. And they fried their alarm clock and had it for breakfast. Are there any roosters waking you from your sleep? What is that constant reminder of your bondage? You might need to eat your alarm clock. 
for lunch. Break the chains of your slavery and to allow God to set you free. We have to believe it and we have to receive it. We have to claim it. As part of our Lenten devotionals that our staff's writing, many of you are following, I read Exodus chapter 6, 1 through 13. And in that passage, there are seven promises that God gave Moses. And I believe that God wants to claim them today. He says, I will bring you out. I will free you. He says, I will redeem you. I will take you as my own. I will be your God. I will bring you to the land I promised. I will give it to you. These are the promises of God. God desires to give us salvation. And He wants us to break free from the change that binds us. Brothers and sisters, says Paul, I do not consider myself yet to, take in, to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. Silence the re- reminders of your slavery. Break the chains. Hold fast to God's grace and be free. Let's pray. God, thank You so much for the grace that You've given us through Your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much that all we have to do is receive it. It's say, accept it and receive it, God, and you will set us free. And that we no longer have to live in our disappointments, in our, feels, in, in our fears, and in our failures. God, uh, you, you, you tell us that we sometimes fail, but we are not failures. That we have all uh, strayed away from you, but that you desire for us to come home. And through your grace, we can come home to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace that is greater from, than all our sin is our song today.